Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. We praise you for the truth contained in the scripture. We praise you for your spirit to open it to us, to reveal it to us, to teach us through it, Father. We pray for that guidance this morning, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said in the opening, today has been designated as Mother's Day. It's been designated as a time to celebrate mothers. And prompted by that this morning, we want to look at the opportunity that mothers have. And in fact, the opportunity that we all have to influence children. As I said earlier, whether those are physical children or spiritual children, those new to the faith, those unfamiliar with faith, with the faith in Christ. There's a lot for us to learn from this text this morning. You see, the title of the message is More Than a Caregiver. If you have been appointed as a mother, through whatever means that may be, you are charged with providing those children's every every physical need as an... Yes. I knew I was going to forget that. I apologize. Children, you are dismissed to go to the fellowship hall. I apologize. As I said, you are given the opportunity to provide, and you are charged with providing their every physical need as an infant. And as they grow up, as they mature physically, your responsibilities decrease. And you have a great deal of influence in those lives because of that opportunity to be their caregiver, to meet their physical needs. And verse 7 of our text this morning gives the description of the potential that is possible in those lives because of the influence that, that you, because of the influence that we have in the lives of others. This morning, we want to look at the context of the scripture and then the promised results spelled out in verse 7. 
when we get to that verse, we will focus primarily on the three positives that you see in the sermon notes that you have in your hands. But before we get to that, we want to, again, as I said, look at the context, look at the background here. This is Paul's second letter to his disciple, Timothy. He wrote it from prison just before he died. As you read this text, you see that he obviously thought a great deal of Timothy. He says, my beloved child. And then he, in this text, acknowledges the influence and the power of God in the life of Timothy and in his own life. He remembers working with Timothy. He says, as I remember your tears, as I remember the sincereness, the sincerity of your work, of your servant. In verse 5, he speaks specifically of Timothy's sincere faith. He's, not, he's, he's saying it's, your faith is not fake. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. You see, God is not careless with his adjectives. He does not use words just to have more words. He says sincere because he specifies that it was genuine. It was a faith. It is a faith in Christ. And then he goes on to say, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. He says, I am sure. He observed this faith acted out in Timothy's life. And he also remembers Timothy's heritage. And we want to look at that heritage in just a little bit more detail this morning because it's fascinating. Why does Paul just mention Timothy's mother and grandmother? Well, we're introduced to Timothy in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. It says that Paul came also to Burbe and to Lystra. Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. You can decipher from that with the but and the fact that it says that his father was Greek and it does not mention the fact that he was, that he was a believer, that his father indeed was not a believer. That's why Paul gives the credit of him being taught an example of this faith acted out being passed down through his mother because the faith did not exist in his father. There is encouragement and hope in this verse. And it blessed me as I studied it. God is bigger than the shortcomings of this world. God is bigger than the fact that the father for all intents and purposes, was absent in Timothy's spiritual life. God is that big, and God provided for Timothy. And not only did he provide for Timothy, he exhorted him and equipped him to be a powerful servant of God, despite his circumstances. In verse 6, Paul says, For this reason I remind you, for this reason, 
The reason was, based on your faith, based on the faith I see in you that I saw passed down from your mother and grandmother, I challenge you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul likes to remind Timothy of this fact, this appointment, this laying on of hands. If you go back to his first letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands upon you. Paul is using the metaphor of fanning the flames. Talking about tending the fire. General Booth, the gentleman who was the founder of the Salvation Army, had this quote in a message that he sent to those under him in authority. The tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. Anyone who has tended a fireplace fire knows that it needs to be stirred up occasionally. We are called, Timothy was being called and challenged by Paul to exercise his faith, to, in obedience, work out his faith, to fan that flame, not to maintain it, but to increase it, to intensify it. So at this point, Paul has recognized Timothy's heritage. He has acknowledged the fruits of his faith. And he's pointed out the fact that he was set set apart by the laying on of hands. And he's encouraged him to exercise his faith. And then we see the promised results. Verse 7. He tells us, first, why it's possible for these good things that he's going to tell us about, where they come from. He says, for God gave us the Spirit by faith, by appointment, and strengthened by our obedience. A spirit, not of fear. And this this fear is a fear likened to cowardice-ness. It's not a reverent fear. It's a crippling fear. A fear that binds us from doing anything good, from accomplishing anything, that caves us in upon ourselves, that sends us into sheer terror if unchecked. That's the type of fear that Paul is referring to. This fear is natural. Absent of the presence of God, we really have no choice but to fear because we really have no hope. And this isn't just a fear of heights, not just a fear of flying, a fear of snakes or any other kind of animal that may scare us. It's a fear also of not being accepted, a fear of not being valued by our peers, a fear that we won't be provided for, that we have to take care of ourselves, a fear of being embarrassed of being mocked, of being laughed at, a fear of failure, of not being able to accomplish something that we believe that we should be able to accomplish. You see, people can appear strong. 
They can put up a good front, but they can still be completely crippled by their natural fears. That fear flourishes. It itself is fanned into flame when we depend on ourselves. When we put our faith in ourselves. When we put our faith in the things that this world has to offer us. But then Paul tells Timothy, and it is very pertinent to us, what is available to him. He tells him what the Spirit of God looks like in him. What the Spirit of God looks like in us. And what the Spirit of God looks like in our children. He gives us three words. Power, love, and self-control. We want to break those down this morning. We want to look at these fruits individually. First of all, power. Basically defined, it is a great force or energy. It's an effective and productive force or energy. It's not reckless and destructive. It's talking about an amazing power that is under, under control and that is beneficial, life-giving, a power of deliverance. God provides us with His power so that we can be effective in His service. Paul, in his prayer to the believers in Ephesus, he didn't pray that the believers in Ephesus would be given divine power. But he prayed that they would be aware of the power that they already have. In Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 18, going through verse 20. If you have your Bibles or your phones, I encourage you to bring this up because I want you to see all three of these verses together this morning if you have that ability. The text says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, your spiritual eyes opened, that you may know that which is the hope that he has called you, is the hope. It is done. Not to come. The hope is there. Goes on. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? What are the riches? They're there. It's done. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Is the greatness. Again, it's done. It's there. It's not something that's coming. It's complete. It's toward us who believe, who have faith, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, worked again, looking at the tense, past tense, worked, it's done. When he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. The same power that enables me to stand before you this morning and to preach and to lead lives in us. It's not anything that I can do in myself. The same power that made it possible for Carmen to join us here this morning lives in you. God is powerful and unlimited 
That same power is available to us. That doesn't mean that the challenges that we face in this life will go away, but it means that we will have the power to face those challenges. That means that we don't have to be crushed and crippled by those challenges, by those trials, but we have the power to live in victory over the consequences of those challenges. That power is available to us because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. The next thing he mentions is love. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame. Our expectations will not be crushed because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Has been poured. Again, it's done. It's there. It's available to us through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. The Spirit empowers us to love by pouring God's love into our hearts. The love that we have from God is the agape love. This is a selfless love. It works for the best interest of the object. It works for the best interest of the one who is being loved and serves no benefit to the one who is doing the loving. It's focused completely on the object of the love. It's not emotional and conditional. It's not sensual and selfish. The love that we have from God is constant. It doesn't fluctuate up and down. It is a constant, steady, and full love. It is a self-denying grace that empowers us. It says to others, I will give myself away on your behalf. It gives the glory to God. And back to the source. It says, I will give my life and everything I have to serve you. John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then also remember what John tells us. In 1 John Chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. When we succumb to our fears, when we at times are overwhelmed by our fears, We are falling short of the perfection of love. We are falling short of embracing the the fullness of the Spirit. We are falling short of receiving in faith that which is available to us. And that we includes me. There are times that I am overtaken by fear. There are times that each of you are shaken by fear. Fear of what could happen. Fear of what has happened. The only power we have to overcome that is by embracing the Holy Spirit and the love that is available to us to stand in victory over fear. The fruit of our love 
testifies to the depth of our faith. If our first love is for self, our life will center on seeking our own welfare, our own objectives, our own comfort and success. We will not sacrifice ourselves for others or even for God. But if we love with the love that God provides, our life will center on pleasing Him and on seeking the welfare of others, especially other Christians. If we can't love other Christians, how can we love those who are completely unlovable, who, have, who, who give us no reason to love them? How can we do that but by the grace of God? Godly love is the first fruit of the Spirit. And it is manifested, it is revealed when we live by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit. Finally, the third item that Paul, and the the third fruit basically that Paul gives to Timothy is that of self-control. This self-control basically means a secure and sound mind. And it also talks about being disciplined and having a properly prioritized mind, meaning we know what's important. We know what goes before other. We know to put God before the things of this world. We know to put the furtherance of the kingdom before our own desires. That comes by a self-control that is birthed and nourished by the Spirit dwelling within us. God-given discipline allows believers to control every aspect of our lives. Whether that situation is positive or it's negative, it allows us as believers to experience, to experience success without becoming proud. It allows us to suffer failure without becoming bitter or hopeless. The disciplined life is the divinely ordered life in which godly wisdom is applied to every situation. When we live by the discipline that God provides, our priorities are placed in the correct order. And every aspect of our lives is devoted to advancing the cause of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 26, Paul could say, because of God's Spirit, because of His Spirit-empowered discipline, he says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself shall be disqualified. Paul was able to exercise self-control because of the Spirit working in him. 
We all desire these things, don't we? These three items that Paul's listed. We want the power to overcome our fears. If we're truly believers, and if we're honest, we see the destruction of our selfishness, and we long to possess the agape love that we described this morning. We also hate the feeling of being out of control. And we long for boundaries in our lives. And we also want these gifts for our children. And you know, they are gifts. They're freely given to us to receive. Not to be earned, but to receive and to embrace. You say, Kevin, but I don't even have them myself. As you describe the whole concept of self-control, I realize just how out of control I am. So did I. How many times have I responded in anger to things or impatience to things or selfishly to requests? Is that because the power's not there? No, it's because I didn't open my eyes to it. It's because I didn't embrace the power that is available to me by the free gift of God. I am weak. I am selfish. I am out of control at times. So how can I teach these things to my children? Well, these things don't define us. To say, I am weak. No, you have responded in weakness. To say that I am selfish. No, you have responded selfishly. But the truth is you have been given the power to overcome those selfish acts, to overcome the flesh. The the way you respond sinfully to these situations is a result of your, is a result of my lack of faith. It starts with being honest. Being honest with yourself, being honest with your children, being honest with those who are looking up to you. Humility is the beginning of victory. Being willing to say, I can't do this myself. No, you can't do it yourself because God's not asking you to do it yourself. He's done it for you. He's done it for us. Remember who gives these good gifts to you. The same self-control that kept Christ from destroying those who were persecuting him, that kept Christ from destroying his enemies. The same love, the same unconditional selfless love that carried Christ to the cross. And the same power that raised him from the dead dwells in you. You have that power available. I have that power available. When I fail to access it, it's because I'm not living by the faith that is available to me. Just because you're not realizing these truths doesn't mean they're not there. Stop trying to manufacture the fruits. Look back to the source. Draw on the source. Allow it to grow in your heart and be manifested by the power of God. Because it will fall apart if you try to do it under your own power. Remember, you are more than a caregiver. 
because of your role as a caregiver in whatever manifestation that is that you have influence over someone else's life, you have an opportunity to point them to the source of true life, to the source of eternal life. Teach your children about faith. Remember the source of that faith and take them to the source. Point them to the source. Teach them how to bring it to maturity, to fan it into flames. Satan wants to snuff out the spark of faith, the spark of spiritual growth. He desires nothing more than to snuff that out. I encourage you to exhort those around you to embrace God's gifts, his gift of power, his gift of love, his gift of self-control. Are you tired this morning of being crippled by fear? Do you want better for your children? Don't wait until you have victory. Take the journey with them in faith. God has great gifts for you. God has great gifts for your children. Have faith and walk in the promises of those good gifts. God loves you deeply. God doesn't want you to be floundering around in fear and discouragement and defeat. By his spirit, he has made these great gifts available to you to live in victory and to be an overcomer not to be a victim of the deception and the wiles of the enemy, but to live in victory, to live in power, to live in selfless love, to live in complete self-control. The power is available. Open your eyes. Lead the way. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for these good gifts. We thank you for the gift of your Son, who lived on this earth demonstrated the exercising of great self-control as he withstood persecution, crucifixion, who poured out unconditional, selfless love as he allowed himself to be hung on that cross, who showed great power in overcoming the temptations of this world, And who by his death and resurrection made that love, that self-control, that power available to each of us this morning, Lord. God, help us first each by faith to grasp those powers that are available, those gifts that are available to us. And then by example, to demonstrate that faith to those whom we have influence over. God, help us each to live in victory, to live as overcomers, Lord, to glorify you and to bring others into the kingdom, into the fellowship with you, Father. God, we praise you for your provision. We praise you for your great gifts, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.